0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Scott Housen, President of the American Hockey League. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 22 will be held in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, from October 24th through the 27th, 2022. This year's conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Scott Housen was named president of the American Hockey League in February of 2020 with plans for a short transition period before assuming control ahead of the 2020-2021 season. Obviously, the sports landscape, along with the world landscape, looks a lot different now than it did a little more than two years ago. Housing has worked during the pandemic in steering the AHL through a shortened 2020-2021 season with no Calder Cup playoffs. And this season, the AHL has been able to get through the winter difficulties of the Omicron variant to put itself on track for a full regular season and playoffs thanks to the support and advice of medical experts and the National Hockey League. The AHL's future also looks bright with the incoming addition of a team in the Coachella Valley starting next season in a new venue as well. We discussed this and much more with Scott, including how a kid who grew up loving the sport of hockey has been able to make it into not just a playing career, but a post-playing career as a sports executive. We hope you enjoy the conversation. AHL President Scott Housen, thank you for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: You were named league president in mid-February of 2020, and when the announcement was made, the plan was after a short transition period that you would take charge starting with the 2020-2021 season. When that was announced, could you have ever imagined the past two years would be like this from a sports executive standpoint?
1: Yeah, no, I think I went through the interview process. And as you said, I got offered the job in February. I accepted. And then I got invited to uh, the AHL staff offsite meeting in, uh, in Boston. Um, we, we went to the Ace Bailey Foundation dinner and gala. And, uh, and that was a night that uh, the NBA shut down. And the NHL shut down the next day, Um, and that was the middle of March. And uh, I was supposed to start in May uh, as a transition period, as you mentioned, and then take over in July 1. I did all that, but I didn't do it physically in, in Springfield, where the home office is. I did it remotely for the next six or seven months before I actually got here. So I don't think anybody could have imagined it. I think uh, if you remember back to those days, it was really almost day by day, week by week. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And we were just trying to get through the days. And, uh, and then uh, eventually we, uh, we ended up having a season. So nobody could have imagined. Uh, we thought we were out of it at the beginning of this year to a certain extent. And then it came back. But, but everybody was going through the same thing. That was one of the things that was comforting a little bit to me is that everybody was trying to deal with it. And we were all
0: dealing with the unknown. Last season, you first in charge. You had three teams opt out. Seven teams played in temporary locations. The season didn't start until February, and you allowed each division the choice to hold a divisional postseason instead of having the Calder Cup playoffs. In so many ways, was last season just trying to make what you could out of a bad situation?
1: Yeah, it really was. I mean, we kept uh, delaying the season, and we weren't sure it was going to happen. But then, you know, thanks to, really thanks to the NHL, uh, commitment, and uh, thanks to our AHL ownership, we found a way to have a season, and it, it was all about flexibility. That—that's I said to our teams right at the beginning that we're going to be flexible. I remember thinking about well, we have to have a uniform schedule, we have to have everybody playing the same amount of teams, and then I thought, you know, I, I think I said to one of our staff members here, uh, why are we making teams play a certain number of games if they want to play twenty-four? And we did have some teams that wanted to play less games, and some teams wanted to play more games. And that was fine. The important thing, as you mentioned, was to get the players on the ice, uh, have, a, have some type of season. That was an accomplishment. Uh, and make sure, you know, we're a development league. And, and it was all about development last year. If you remember in 2020, minor league baseball didn't have a season at all. So all those players lost a full year of development. And, uh, and that was something we avoided last year. And it was really a, uh, a commitment from our ownership and from the NHL, quite frankly, to make sure that we were going to be able to have some type of season. And, and you mentioned the Calder Cup, the playoffs again, that was flexibility. We knew we weren't going to be able to, award the calder cup the border was closed down and we anticipated it being closed for a, a, a long period of time so it was all about just if somebody if some division wanted to have a playoff let's get at it and, and it ended up being the pacific division that wanted to have the playoffs
0: hockey like you mentioned has been particularly hit hard by the omicron variant in december the nhl had its season go on pause which meant no players going to the winter olympics in beijing you had to cancel the AHL All Star Classic, which you had scheduled for Canada. Has this season been just as hard, if not maybe even harder than the previous one? Given the optimism that you started it with before things went awry.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been one of peaks and valleys because we did start. You know, it looked like October, the first part of November, we were sailing along. We we had some cases, but not a lot of games were being canceled, and not a lot of cases were being reported. I think we had maybe between players and staff maybe 25 or 30 cases and then u.s thanksgiving hit and the cases just you know they just exploded and uh and it seemed like every day we were dealing with a team that was uh in jeopardy of not being able to play uh not being able to ice a competitive team so so that was difficult and we went that lasted about six or seven or eight weeks and then we got through that and uh and and now we're we're back to almost i want to say we're back to normal because we aren't quite there yet, but uh, things are moving along really well right now. I think in most sports, things are moving along really well. I just read this morning that the vaccine uh, or the vaccine mandate in New York is off, so the Yankees and the Mets will be able to play their games in, at home, or the players that are unvaccinated will be able to play their games. So was it more difficult than last year? I can't say that, but it, it certainly has had its challenges.
0: Uh, how high was your level of frustration in the winter? As you were dealing with it, because you mentioned you really felt as if not to, to a certain degree that you had finished worrying about having to feel teams on a daily, on a nightly basis. And there you were going back to what it was before.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everybody was frustrated a little bit because it looked like we were in the clear and, and, uh, and, and we weren't in the clear and we don't even know for sure if we're in the clear now, but, um, I think part of this job, Matt, is you've got to be ready, whatever comes at you. And uh, that was just part of what was coming at us. And I was proud of the way certainly our staff, our referees, uh, our players, our coaches handled it. And we we all got through it. We all got through it working working together. We had to postpone 86 games. And uh, we worked together and we we extended the season, the regular season by six days to make sure we could fit the games in. And now I'm proud to say right now, as we sit here today, every game's been rescheduled and we'll play a full full season for each team so uh I'm proud of that
0: how much for, and you have an extensive experience in sports and with the AHL and the NHL but how much has the past 2 years been almost like a crisis exercise from a sports for sports executives
1: yeah i think that's a fair comment i think um i think it's been uh, like i said before you especially early in the pandemic we didn't know what was coming we didn't we were all in the dark about what was Going to happen next week, uh, let alone next month, and uh, so you had to be ready. You had to sort of follow what uh, you know. We 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 have the advantage of being closely aligned with the NHL, so we took a lot of guidance from what they were doing and how they were operating. Obviously, we couldn't do some of the things just because of the cost, but um, certainly following their lead and
0: and uh, and 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 then finding a way to make it work. The AHL is a minor league. Minor league sports throughout the past, throughout the pandemic, have been hit hard financially. I know there was a report somewhere that your league wide revenue has been down 85%, maybe even more from its last full season in 2018, 2019. I know several teams are part of an effort to get COVID relief from the federal government. How has the AHL gotten through the pandemic, both as a league and its individual teams from a financial standpoint? And how would you describe the league's financial outlook right now?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think the numbers that you're talking about are certainly the numbers from last year, not this 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 current year. Last year, there was virtually no revenue. I mean, our teams did a good job about getting creative with some sponsorship revenue. Um, some of our teams um, uh, had had some fans in the building, but. Virtually, it was there was very very little revenue, and, and that was difficult for us to go through it. And 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 the NHL really helped us get through that. They wanted their players on the ice, so they were twenty one of our teams are owned by NHL teams, so they footed the bill, or you know the eleven uh, independent owners uh, did deals and, and 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 made sure that it worked for both parties. So this year, uh, the current year is pretty good, really. I would tell you that we're we're probably down ten to fifteen percent revenue wise. Um, and I don't think that's any different from almost any sport. I, 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 would, I would hazard to guess that the NHL is probably down about that a little bit too when, when the, all the numbers come in. So that's compared to our last full season that you were talking about 1920. So I think we're in, in good shape. We were on a record pace uh, in Dave Andrews last year in terms of revenue. And uh, I think we'll get back to that pretty quickly. We're not going to achieve it this year, but we'll get back to it pretty quickly.
0: So much of pro sports, you hear about jersey sponsorships in the age in the NHL, jersey sponsorships, helmet sponsorships. You hear you see all these pro leagues setting up gambling uh, partnerships and gambling is kind of seen as in some ways a real financial po- potential incentive going forward for a minor league standpoint. Are the, how are those options for you and what do you think you could utilize those options for going forward?
1: Yeah, and we're, we're already in those games. Uh, we have a jersey patch um, and we've had a jersey patch for a while, so that will continue to be a source of revenue for our teams. Um, the gambling one is intriguing, intriguing. We have a partnership with a company called Genius Sports, and they're quite a significant sponsor for us. And they're in the gambling industry. Um, and that's a league wide deal that we do. And then it doesn't prevent our teams from doing uh, more, more deals with, uh, with other gambling partners. So, I mean, I always say to people like five, six, seven, ten 10 years ago, nobody even thought that gambling was going to be a big revenue producer. Um, and and now look what's happened. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to adapt. You've got to be flexible, and uh, and and there's other things that are going to come along here now, uh, NFTs, and, and we've got to be ready to take advantage of that and have a policy, at least, of how we're going to operate.
0: Going back to when you were hired, you have decades of experience within the NHL and working with various teams. What made you interested in being president of the AHL in the first place?
1: Well, I've got a long time affection for the AHL. It's where I started. I started as a player, and then I started. I grew up as a hockey executive in the AHL. I left a career in law in Toronto to go manage the Cape Breton Oilers in 1994 or 95. I can't remember. Um, and uh, and and so I, you know, I've pretty well done everything in the AHL except coach. And uh, and I just think it's such a it's such a great league. It's it's a really important part of the hockey ecosystem. And uh, when the job became available, I've had my eye on the job for six or seven years because I knew that Dave at some point was going to step down. And, uh, and I just kept my eye on it. I kept involved in the AHL and in, in various roles. Uh, in Columbus, obviously, we had our AHL team in Syracuse and Springfield and then back to the Oilers. Um, and, uh, we had a team in Oklahoma city and then I was part of the Pacific division, um, move, uh, in, uh, 2015 and we moved to Bakersfield. So just, just a long time affection for it. Uh, I think it's an important job. It's an important place in the, in, in hockey and, uh, really a privilege to be part of it.
0: You mentioned the experience you have, uh, as a general manager for various teams, going back further, you also mentioned you played in the AHL in the 1980s. Is there any way to describe what the league is now compared to what it was then when you as a player and as a new sports executive?
1: Yeah, well, I think the quality of play is probably I mean, uh, the quality of play has gone up, obviously, but we were still the the, you know, the number one minor league team at the time or minor league at the time. So we had all the top prospects in the league. So that hasn't changed. What's changed is is the size of the markets. We're in places like Chicago and Toronto and Austin and Texas now. And it was really when I played a, basically a Northeastern United States league and uh, we were located here. And that's probably why the, the office is here in Springfield right now. So it's changed a lot. It's expanded. We're across the USA now. We're 31, soon to be 32 active teams. We're in Canada um, and again, we are in four provinces in Canada, so it's just a different league and the, a different business in that in that type of uh, comparison.
0: You mentioned some of the markets that you're in now. You've also been you mentioned also expanding to 32 teams next year. You're going to have a team in Coachella Valley in Palm Springs, California. One of team one of the teams that several teams that you have in the in the state of California. How would you describe the growth of the AHL in recent years, and how much work do you think has had to go into ending the narrative of teams having trouble succeeding in non-traditional markets, whether it be California, but also, as you mentioned, some of the major markets like Toronto and Chicago, where there's already strong NHL loyalty?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think Coachella Valley is going to be, uh, I just was Talking to their ownership group, and they were giving me a status report uh, about ten days ago. And they're just—they're just going to hit it out of the ballpark uh, uh, in terms of fan, fan experience, uh, corporate sponsorship, all those things. They're really tracking quite quite high for us. So I think it's going to be a a great franchise, and it's going to fit really nicely with our California. Uh, you know, now we're in Arizona. Now we're in Colorado. That's part of the Pacific Division. We're in Las Vegas, um, Henderson. So I, I think it fits really well. And I think I think all of our teams. You know, some of their our strongest teams are are in some of these non traditional markets in California. Ontario is a terrific franchise. San Diego's a terrific franchise. Abbotsford is is uh, in uh, is really tracking very well. I know that's more of a traditional hockey market, but we had a team in there. Uh, you know, six or seven years ago and it did not do well. And the Canucks have done a great job even through COVID here where they were restricted to 50% of their capacity. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of places where our business is quite strong. We need to, there's always going to be places where we can improve and we're trying to help those teams improve. But, uh, but I, I think that uh, our league is, like I said, it's, it's across the U S it's in four provinces. And, and uh, I think it's really become a, you know, quite a large, a, a large league that that attracts quite a large following.
0: How have franchises throughout the league been able to stay relevant in what has become an increasingly crowded entertainment landscape before the pandemic? And how much do you work with your teams when it comes to things like you mentioned before, the fan experience, bringing fans out even for the first time and then hooking them and wanting Making them want to come back more and more. Well, one of the things that we
1: have here is uh, uh, we have a department called the Team Business Services Department, and that was modeled after the Teambo department. I don't know if you've heard of that in the NBA, but that that is a uh, initiative where we we focus on collecting data, best practices, and sharing it with our teams. So it's very market driven, very market specific. And it's more not so much as what the league can create, but what we can do to help our teams. We got a lot of smart, strategic people operating our teams, uh, using you know new the new technology, new ways. All you know, very active on social and digital media. So I think we've just got to keep um, driving that forward and finding new ways to touch our fans and and bring them in. And and like you like we talked about before, we're in some non traditional markets, and we've got to get people familiar with hockey it's a great game uh you know whether that's street hockey or whatever get sticks and balls in kids hands and let them experience the game because uh once they do then they you know they they have more of an affinity for the game and more of attraction and and they'll become fans so i think that's not just an ahl initiative matt i think the nhl is trying to do that and certainly we're
0: trying to do that too how would you describe your league's relationship with the NHL and its member clubs, both from your perspective now as AHL president, but as somebody who has extensive experience on the NHL side?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just, I mean, we made a decision a long time ago, a very strategic decision that was made by Dave Andrews and the board at the time to be completely development oriented. And really, that was a great decision because it ended up we we brought in six IHL teams and we became one league and we became the development league for the NHL. So I mean, how uh, we're, we're closely aligned. Uh, they are a separate, distinct entity, but uh, certainly we have, as I mentioned before, we have 21 of our teams owned by NHL teams. So they saw the value. A lot of teams. Particularly when the cap came in in 2004 2005, they saw the value of hey development's really important. We want to get in and we want to control the team. And not only do we want to get in and control the team, we've seen a lot of teams whether it's Laval, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Winnipeg, whether it's the you know the California teams. Let's get them close to the NHL team. So um, we close physically to the NHL team so that we can use that relationship. We can control more. The players can come back and forth more freely. So uh, there's not much that goes in, on in our league without certainly NHL knowledge. And uh, and they've been a great resource for us in some of the challenges we've had to face.
0: Would you have been able to get through the past two years without the NHL?
1: Probably not. No, we certainly, I don't, we it would have been impossible to play last year without the NHL. Um, this year was more of a normal year. So uh, you know, that wasn't as as, as a heavy a lift and and needing the NHL, but last year certainly we would not have played without the NHL's help.
0: Something I want to talk about is an initiative that you've started this season is you have, I think it's 10 female referees and officials on the ICE this year in trying to diversify uh the look and the face of your league. You have key female executives in the AHL front office. How important has that been? To try and make sure that the league has new opinions, new voices, new perspectives on how things are done.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's crucial. I'm I'm very proud. We have a hockey operations department of four people, and three of them are are women. So um, that's that's probably the only sort of makeup of of a hockey operations department in any league. And I'm. I'm proud of that, and and they're all valuable. They all bring a different perspective. Bringing in uh, Haley Moore from the uh, women's hockey was was a great move, and she's done a great job in looking after the officials and looking after player discipline. Melissa Caruso was here for a long time, and really is is uh, key in making the league work from a governance standpoint. I rely on her a lot. So that you know, DEI is a really important important initiative for not only the American hockey league, but for hockey in general, we're partnering with the respect group and Sheldon Kennedy um, and, and the NHL in terms of making sure that we get the training and the prevention piece of it going on. So, you know, I I think it's just important. We've got to keep expanding that area. Um, We've got to keep appealing to uh, other voices, other distinct cultures and uh, and make sure that we grow the game. As far as the referees go, Matt, Um, That was an initiative we worked on with the NHL. Uh, Haley and I talked about it last year. It wasn't quite the right time last year. And then getting together with the NHL over the summer, it was the right time. These 10 women have put a lot of time in. They're very good at their craft, and it was time for them to take the next step.
0: One thing that the AHL has that has been unique is since the 2015-16 season, there's different schedule links depending on the divisions. There's 76 games for the Atlantic, North, and Central divisions, and 68 games for the Pacific. You plan to standardize the schedules next year for all divisions, 72 games, 32 teams. How important is that for the AHL so you don't have to explain the differences to new fans?
1: Yeah, well, that was part of the negotiation of bringing the Pacific Division in. They really wanted to keep their number of games um, lower, and, and for development purposes, that was their view. And, um, and when I, when I interviewed for the job, I thought, you know, I told the search committee that I I really believe we will get to a 72 game schedule. I can't tell you when, but I think it's going to be a timing thing. And it just happened to be, you know, as soon as I got on the job within a year, uh, the opportunity was there. And it was really, you know, a lot of people did a lot of compromising. There were a lot of teams that not only did the Pacific Division not want to go to, you know, they weren't excited about going to 68 necessarily, but there were teams at 76 that didn't want to go to 72. And then you had teams in the middle that were either ambivalent or really wanted to go to 72. So we all worked together. Uh, We all put the good of the league uh, first and uh, there was compromise. Part of the compromise was uh, a lot of teams wanted to increase the number of playoff teams this year. And we've done that. We've gone from 16 to 23. We've added virtually added another whole round. Uh, so there was a lot of compromise, but I think uh, more to your question, uh, it was confusing. Um, and, uh, it wasn't a great look for our league and it created some advantages and disadvantages for our teams, whether, you know, it's a team that's more rested. If you're playing 68, you're playing a team that's playing 76 you're more rested. It might be easier to recruit a player to play 68 than it is 76. You get the same money, so, so I just, I, I just felt it was important for our league to even that out, and we were able to accomplish that. I'm quite proud of that.
0: Barring extraordinary circumstances, this year you will be able to award the Calder Cup for the first time as AHL president. How much are you looking forward to that moment?
1: Well, that's going to be a great moment because we've waited a long time. It's been two years since we we've been able to do it and and the, what came across for me last year Matt was talking to some of our players and and how important playing for the Calder Cup was to them. A couple of them said to me like this is why we play. We play to win the cup. And there was no opportunity to do that last year and they understood that um, and they competed hard but you know that's the carrot at the end of the day that they all want to that they all play for. They want to win And uh, that's going to be an exciting moment. When we get to that moment and we're able to uh, hand out the cup to a champion, that'll be a, it's been a long way, put it that way.
0: It sounds very much like you're looking forward to it. And also when that happens, have you started to think about what the league's future priorities and what will be the closest to a normal offseason that you've had in charge entail?
1: Yeah, we're well on our way to doing that. I had, I had these grand plans what i wanted to try and accomplish when i got the job and then it got put on hold a little bit because we just i mean virtually every day we were dealing with covid it wasn't conducive to long-term planning but we're doing that now and one of the things that's really important to us is is uh, as i mentioned before the Diversity, equity, inclusion piece that we've got to—we've all got to get better at in this game, and uh, we're going to push forward with that. We're going to make sure it's front and center, and our board's been very supportive of that. And we got to make sure we're we're on that. But there's other things, uh, you know, like I said to you before, we were on pace for record revenue in 1920, and now we're down about 10 or 15 percent. We've got to. Recalibrate now, and we'll get back there, and we'll start growing it. And as Coachella Valley comes in, I think that's really going to help us too. And Henderson's moving into a new building, and and uh, that's going to be a home run for our league too. So we're on a good good path, but there are some long term objectives that we've got to start focusing on now. And I think we'll be able to do that more so as we hopefully get through this pandemic.
0: When you were a young hockey player, hooked on the sport, could you have imagined that you would be sitting here today? having played hockey throughout your career, going to the NHL and having your entire post-playing career involved, most of your post-playing career involved with the age, AH, with the NHL and AHL and having had hockey as your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, well, it was a dream for sure. Um, I love the game from, you know, I think I started playing organized hockey when I was six years old, um, started skating when I was two. And it, it, I always tell people it's a privilege. It's a privilege to work in the NHL. It's a privilege to work in the AHL. And I never take that for granted. And I've been I've been very fortunate. I've spent over 25 years now working in professional hockey in in North America. And uh and I just count my blessings every day.
0: Scott, thank you very much for your time and looking forward to not just the completion of this regular season, but the Calder Cup playoffs in the AHL returning for the first time in two years. So am I, Matt. Thanks for joining us today on the Sports Travel podcast. Thank you. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trial for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.